It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, a guy that's a candidate for president that was the 48th vice president of the United States, Mike Pence. Only the third time in history a vice president is running against a former, now former, running mate in Donald Trump. And with me in studio, and by the way, we're going to cover everything that's going on. Uh, the Trump trouble with his court case. Uh, Comer gets his way with Christopher Ray. And uh, and the attacks on Trump from Christy Pence and everybody else. Uh, but with me in studio, it's my privilege to get one of America's great entrepreneurs. Uh, burst on the scene as a rapper, Master P. Percy, Master P. Miller. Uh, welcome, Percy. Great to see you again. I'm glad to be here, my brother. It was just so honored to see you, uh, see how it all started with you. Yeah. We were, you were able to give me some time, give me a day yeah. to go through where you grew up, where you live, uh, what you do now, yeah. and how you became the, the entrepreneur you are. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the real American dream, and I just want to let people know, don't be afraid to grow up. Don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to get better. Uh, God has blessed me to where I got a second chance, and now I'm, I'm just, I want to educate. I want to give back. I want to make a difference. Uh, that's what my life is about now, being a servant. So I'm growing. I want to keep help building future leaders, and uh, I'm on a journey. So this is only the beginning. I went from hip-hop now to the king of breakfast food. Right, King of Breakfast, everything though. But so, yes. so uh, just so you know, uh, Master P was no one's really cutting, uh, you know, using a machete to cut through the tough times for you. Yes, you grew up in a in a tough neighborhood. You mm-hmm. made went out of your way to go go to school. Yep. You wore a tie. Yes, cut through gang infested areas, yes. back and forth. Yes. and not only were surviving, you tapped into education. Yes, you thrived. And with that, you you looked at it as an opportunity, yes. and you burst out. Education saved my life and changed my life. I'm just thankful for my grandparents sending me to uh, St. Monica Catholic School uh, as a middle school uh, student, and uh, it just it, it it gave me that foundation to where uh, I can do what I need to do now. Right, and and it's it's a choice, like so nobody's perfect. I know as as Americans, we go through all different kind of things, but I'm just blessed to be able now to be able to come from hip hop and and, and truly say that I'm thankful for my humble beginnings. I'm always going to be humble, but now uh, I'm able to create business and give people opportunities. Uh, When you look at uh, African-American CEOs and Fortune 500 companies, we only make up a tenth of 1%. 
And so I want to add that diversity. So I'm thankful that Post gave me this distribution deal to get my product nationwide. Post cereal. Post cereal. Out of all, like, cereal companies have been around for at least 100 years. And blacks are probably one of the top consumers of this product. Never had an African-American owner of a brand. And so our company is black-owned, but we make product for everybody, Asians, whites, Latinos, and black. I mean, we make the American product, the American brand. Right. So I'm, I'm excited <laughs> about that because diversity. When you look on the grocery store shelves, uh, for Post to step up, this is what America is about. Right. We, we're stronger together, and, and we're making a difference now. Now we'll be able to change a lot of the communities and the culture with me and Snoop with what we're doing with Snoop Serial. Yeah, let's introduce that. So yes. what, what are your concept is you bring people in as partners. You let them be yes. owners. Yes. And with Snoop, first tell everyone how at Snoop Dogg you stepped up yes. and kind of reprogrammed his career. Yeah, so, I mean, Snoop come from hip-hop, but he's probably one of the most recognizable entertainers in the world now. He's on every commercial, and I'm like, Snoop, uh, it's time for us corona. to build. Yeah, it's time for us to build a brand. I mean, we, we'll be able to pass this down from generation to generation. This will be around when we're not around. So I love Snoop. He's my brother. We are growing together. We're not perfect. We're getting better. And that's what America's about. But what, what, what I told Snoop was, let's create this family brand. Because when you look at all these big brands out there, these are family names. So when you look at the cereal, and I want to show you this. Yeah, and uh, by the way, we're streaming on Fox Nation, so yeah, check it out. Snoop cereal. Uh, these are characters. Cinnamon Toasties. Cinnamon Toasties. Uh, let me show you the other one. Fruity Hoops. And, and for, instead of Fruit Loops, you yeah. have your own? Yeah, so remember we, we, we was in a big trademark infringement with yeah. Kellogg's. They made us change the name. It yeah. was uh, Snoop Loops. We had to take it. So I want to tell America about failure. We failed so many times. We spent millions of dollars building this brand, had to start over. Kellogg's made us take it off the shelves. And I just thank all the people that believe in us, even like the Walmarts, the Targets, the right. Albertsons. We in Amazon.com now. Like all these brands came and said, we love what you guys are doing. And so now we have this product, Snoop Cereal. So we went from one cereal. And I want to show you this. Look at this. Yeah. We, got, we got cereal, y'all. America, we got cereal. So and, and it looks like this is frosted drizzlers. Yes. Nice. So look this at is, that. Look this, at is, this. This, is, this, is, this is all good stuff. Uh, and what I love about this now is not about knocking all other products out there. We're finally adding diversity into the stores to right. where uh, when you look at I grew up in private. I grew up on Wick eating cereal. I mean, my family didn't have money, so I grew up. Cereal was my breakfast. It was it. Yeah, so. Uh, and your we, dinner sometimes. It, it made my dinner sometimes. So uh, this is a champion breakfast, and we want to be able to feed families, put money back into the community and the culture. But we also want to tackle homelessness because uh, when you look at when you buy one of these products, you're giving back to make a difference to tackle homelessness. So, yeah, this is it. And by the way, Snoop Cereal, uh, the students at George Washington Carver School in Newark, New Jersey, yes. will be eating Snoop Cereal today? Yes. Uh, I, what, what, are you going to go over there after this? Yeah, so my thing is with them, we built a curriculum. So I'm going to show you guys, not just, just bigger than cereal. We're teaching kids their ABCs through hip-hop, numbers, history. Uh, we're making... Fun learning. And you're holding up a children's book right now. That's a children's book. It's an ABC Captain Ace. This is our character, Captain Ace. He the Kobe Bryant of cereal in Doggy Land. So we creating characters. Um, 
What I love about this character, I've been working with this guy, Ola. He's wearing number eight. Number eight, representing Kobe Bryant. I've been working with Ola for over 15 years. And now in the animation side of this, we're finally getting our just due to where this guy is incredible. He's talented. And we're able to create all these different products. And we're changing the game. So so as you broke out, and yes. by, by the way, you're, you're a father too. Yes. How many kids? Uh, nine. Nine kids. Yes. Uh, a lot of them are athletes taking yes. advantage of the NIL. Yes. Oh, my son just now, this week, he's probably one of the biggest NIL, uh, cut one of the biggest NIL deals. Tell uh, me about to, it. To the day, uh, my son, Hersey. And what I love about it, uh, we're, we're dealing with technology companies, all these different companies. So I want students to take advantage. And when I play basketball, I got $400 a month. And the game has changed. These guys getting millions of dollars now. So you almost like want to stay in school and get your education. And, so, and now these kids can. They can. They it's, hey, their families from meager means. I got to go pro, yes. even if I'm not ready. Yes. And now you with the name Let me tell you something. I had uh, a school off of my younger son. He's in 11th grade. He's one of the top basketball players in the country, Mercy Miller. They offered him $800,000 to go to high school. I'm like, no, we're staying in regular school because <laughs> a lot of this stuff is being streamed and, and uh, all these different brands are promoting right, right. these products. So they want to make money off of these kids and let these kids make money at the same time. I'm like, no, my kid is at Notre Dame high school. He want to, he want to finish out, keep getting better, keep studying. Cause I told him education is the most important thing. Right. And so you being know, in a good environment is so important for it, us. Too. And we, we, you know, and last time we were talking, you know, I had a chance to walk with, uh, by the way, we're with um, master P a Percy Miller. And yeah. He's kind enough to come in studio. And what you do is you're an example of somebody who came from, a tough situation, yes. and not only shined, managed to get a great education, took some huge chances, got this great business background, are sitting down with some of the most powerful people in the country, launching brands, but also reaching back. Yes. So there is a there is a charitable element to every cereal, yes. every snack that I see with yes. you on it, right? Yes. Go to futurebosses.org. It's all about making a difference and give back. It's, we, we're helping kids through early childhood education. We're tackling homelessness. We're also feeding the elderly. So when you buy one of our products, you're making a difference with us. So uh, go to snoopcereal.com or brodersfoods.com and make, make a difference with us. Like, this is not about money for us. Uh, this is the journey. I mean, even if this is not successful like we want it to be, Right. It's still a success for us. I feel like God has blessed us, given us opportunities. But you're in the game. Yeah, we open because, the doors. So how exciting is it to launch a product? You don't know if it's going to work. You no. hope it does. But yeah. the adrenaline of being in the game. Well, I love it. It's, it's the passion knowing that I grew up eating cereal all my life. And now I can do something that I love, that I grew up loving as right. a kid. So that's what this is about for me. And, and I'm going to stay on this journey. If I got to start over again, I'll start over again because that's what it's about. And obviously your kids have picked up uh, that that competitive instinct in you and the business acting yes. with you. So with nine kids are out there, it's a lot of responsibility on a yes. daily basis. And I'm still learning as a father. I mean, you know, you have kids, so it's no blue book to, to fatherhood. I'm learning. You know, I'm learning. I got to listen to my kids sometimes. Sometimes I got to make them listen to me. But uh, it, it's it's a lovely thing knowing that you have a family and you want to get out and work for them. And it's, it's the American way. You want to take care of your family. 
Yeah, when we come back, uh, Race in America, let's talk more about your products. Race in America today, Tim Scott was on The View on Monday and wanted to answer. As you know, he's running for president of the United States. It's a huge success story in his own right. And I had a chance to see his upbringing, too. And it was pretty tough like yours. So we'll we'll talk about him, his point of view, and get yours. Uh, It's my privilege to have in studio Master P, uh, a success in so many ways. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back uh, with me, though. You put the headset on. Okay. Pretend you're in the studio. Okay. Uh, we're here with Master P, uh, a rapper, entrepreneur. Brand new cereals are out with Snoop Dogg. has got a great partnership there. So now uh, everybody has brand new cereal to choose from. It's not the same old stuff. Yeah. So, uh, Percy, I knew you were coming in. And on Monday, Tim Scott, African-American, South Carolina senator, was on The View because they called him out and says he, he really doesn't have the experience. Uh, but he's the exception, not the rule of someone to come out of uh, tough beginnings and emerge successful. And he wanted to come on The View and defend himself. Uh, listen. One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. So he went on to talk about what he did, you know, single wow. parent family. So what, what is your take on that? I mean, I'm really not into politics, but my, my, my main thing is it's all about good people. Uh, I don't let people judge me. I'm going to think outside the box, um, even everything that's going on. I mean, this is America, the, the land of opportunity. You just got to, to me, if they close a door, I'm going through the window. So I'm just thinking different. And, um, I'm uh, to me a minor setback for a major comeback, and so I, I understand what you know what he's saying, but to me that's not applying for every kid that's out there. Like to me, it's like it's opportunity. Let's figure out how to go get it. Let's educate ourselves. Let's let's be prepared. So we have to be more prepared now. There's a lot of technology, a lot of different things going on. So I feel like we can crawl through those cracks right. now. With back in the days we couldn't. So I feel like. That made sense for me more because 20, 30 years ago. But now I feel like when you look at it, 
You know, we didn't had a black president before, so we're we're getting into some black secretaries of state. Yes, sitting senators. So so things are changing and and evolving. This America, people are open. Like we march together in the middle of the streets, whites, blacks, Asians, and Latinos. So it's just about good people now, and good people are going to change the world. That's what I love about America. Like this is not a communist country. Like we can speak our peace now, and we can. Get out here and make change, but we got to put the work in. An eleven-year-old so, kid comes up to Percy Miller and says, yes. "Oh man, my, I, my, I have no money in my house. No one's ever made it out of my uh, house. Uh, you know, I don't really have good parents. My school." I, I'm gonna what say, do, "Stop you, what right do you, here." What do you say? To I'm gonna say, "Stop right here." I live with my grandparents in a three-bedroom project apartment with sixteen people. I ate last. Let's stop making excuses. Look where I'm at because I want it. I want to break those cycles. I want to change. So it starts with you. Let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's let's start growing. Let's, let's say, you know, I might not be where I want to be and I'm still young, but once I get to that age, I can change this. How do you get people to believe they can? Look at my life. Look where, I, look where I'm at right now. I have my own brands. I have my own companies. Even I feel so many times. I want to tell people one, one thing about me. If you feel, stay down for, for a second longer. And think about what you're going to do when you, you get fail, up the next if time. If you fail. Yeah, every time you fall. Fall, sit down for just a second longer and think about when I get back up, what I'm going to do. Because life is like a seesaw. It go up and down. Be prepared. I put my trust and faith in God. I don't put it in man. So my thing is, if you do the right thing, the right thing going to come back to you. Right. So blessings will come to you. It might not be when you want it to happen, but it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. So if, if, if you keep the faith, you keep working hard. They cannot stop. Hard work. I don't care whether you're black, white, or you feel like somebody uh, trying to stop you or hating on you. If you do the right thing, eventually you're going to crack that system. Look look at what's going on in the world right now. But even us sitting down, being friends, being able to talk to each other like this, think about it. They ain't expect, I come from hip-hop. How could where you come from, we could sit down and have a real conversation Absolutely. as men. It's not about a black or white thing. It's, we all have different views. So we all have different upbrings, all that. So it's like, okay, how, how, do, how do we able to, to communicate and say how can we grow from this to change and get to be better? Well, and people pointed out, hey, systemic racism is always going to make it harder for Percy Miller than Brian Kilmeade. What do you say about it? You know what? That's your journey. I got my own journey. You're not going to stop me. Same thing they told me with these cereals. They're like, you're not going to be able to, you and Snoop are not going to be able to get cereals into stores nationally. Brian, why are we in Walmart, Target, Amazon, right. Elberson's? I could go on and on and on because we stayed on the journey. We didn't we didn't we didn't get caught up by oh where well, I can't do this because I'm not this color, I'm not that. No. I'm like, you know what? This is America land of opportunity. Eventually somebody gonna see and gonna get a change of heart and say, you know what, it's time. Right. Let those people go do what they got to do. They doing the right thing. And that's all it's about. Like we're trying to feed our families like any white person, any black person, any Asian person, any Latino person. Everybody's trying to feed their family. I mean, you're trying to send your kid to school the same way I'm trying to send my kid to school is no different. Right. Like I don't I don't see the color thing. I see I see. Good people. But I just see good I, I people. Love, I love to hear that because I, I, I'm watching, reading about Booker T. Washington doing this book about Teddy and Booker T. Yes. You know who's helping him out? Uh, Rockefeller. Yes. J.P. Morgan. Yes. Uh, the richest people in the country say, I want to help. Yes. And that was at a time with Jim Crow South and yeah. segregation, and you use that water fountain, and you get on yeah. this bus. Well, but look, 
what I want people to know, we got to stop living in the past. We can't change the past, but we can't change the future. With our actions, it starts with having integrity. Look what we're doing right now. We're not pointing the finger at what happened back then. We're saying, okay, let's have some integrity as Americans, and let, let us do the right thing. And we're coming up against the break, so tell us how to get these cereals. How do, how do we order online if we go, can't get to go Walmart? To, go to SnoopCereal.com or go to Amazon.com. You can pre-order right now. It'll be in stores June 24th. Uh, everywhere, and it'll be in Walmart July 15th. All right. Uh, I'm so glad to see you, Master P. Yes, uh, Percy Miller. See him all around. Mm-hmm. Follow his career and be inspired by it. You always inspire me. Thanks so much, Percy. Thank you for having me. All right. We come back. Vice President Mike Pence live with us. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Now, given our record, it might be fair to ask why I'm challenging my former running mate. Let me say from my heart, it begins with a promise that I made to the American people and to Almighty God. And it ends with different visions for the future of our nation, and our party. And that's a little of the speech that Mike Pence, Mike Pence made yesterday in Iowa to officially launch his presidential run. He's the 48th vice president of the United States and wants to be the 46th president, uh, the 47th president of the United States. I did that math in my head. Uh, Mr. Vice President, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, thanks for having me on this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Iowa, but it's great to be on, on uh, the airwaves of the Brian Kilmeade Show all across America. And that's how, by the way, that's the foundation. Uh, you were a radio guy before you became a politician, correct? <laughs> I spent about 10 years. I was never as big as Brian Kilmeade, but I mean, I was, right. I had a little syndicated radio show in, in Indiana, and uh, and I, I just loved it. You know, I, I, your, your listeners should just know I'm just... I'm not only an old talk radio show host, but I'm a talk radio listener. And, and we appreciate your voice out there every day, Brian. Uh, thanks, Mr. Vice President. So I, I had a chance to watch Governor DeSantis speak on Long Island. And when he showed up, you know, people are enthusiastic to see him. But Trump supporters showed up and they were heckling him. And I thought, what planet am I on? I go, the Trump people heckling Governor Ron DeSantis, two conservative Republicans. Do you find that here you are running and you're against your former running mate and 10 others. And sometimes you, are you getting pushback because of the statement you made why you're running? Well, look, look, uh, you know, there's a saying in NASCAR, you know, that rubbing is racing. So, you know, that's all part of it. That's, that's fine. But, you know, for us, for me and my family, Karen and I spent the last couple of years really reflecting and praying uh, about the future. But when, when I looked at the way, 
Joe Biden and the Democrats have weakened America at home and abroad when I see the crisis at our border, when I see inflation at a 40-year high, when I see the steady assault on our values. Um, uh, we just felt a duty to step forward and, and uh, offer our experience, not just as vice president, Brian, but you and I have known each other a long time. You, you know I was a, a governor of a state that balanced budgets, cut taxes, achieved record, record employment, and expanded school choice, and I also was a leader of House conservatives. I battled against the big spenders of my own party, and when I think of the challenges that we're facing at home and abroad, in the wake of the failed policies of President Joe Biden, uh, I think this now is a time for all of us, uh, whatever the cost, uh, now is the time for all of us to step forward uh, to offer our experience uh, and our background to turn this country around. And I hope people go to MikePence2024.com, find out more about our cause, and, and uh, we'd love to earn their support. So the problem was, with entitlements, it's become a third rail. Because as soon as, remember Paul Ryan? As soon as Paul Ryan came out and said, hey, you know what, we got to take a look at Social Security. we got to take a look at Medicare, these entitlements. Now you have a Paul Ryan actor throwing uh, grandma over the cliff. And you think right. to yourself, no, no, we're trying to solve a problem. No, but you don't like old people. So when Donald Trump ran, he said, you know what, we're going to just forget that. It's, a, it's tough to be a politician and tell people you're going to cut entitlement programs. And that's where people have stood out. But you're go- you're coming onto the scene saying we have to. We don't have enough money for our bills. Well, we just don't. Look, uh, Social Security and Medicare are scheduled to go bankrupt in the next five to ten years. When that happens, the law will require those programs to be cut. We owe Americans that are in retirement or facing retirement soon better than that. But it's even bigger than that today. I mean, Joe Biden's policy is insolvency. He won't even talk about uh, responsible reforms of entitlements that are 70 percent of our federal budget. And as I said yesterday, I mean, my former running mate has the same policy that Joe Biden has on this, that we're never even going to talk about Social Security and Medicare. Well, i got to tell you, as a new grandfather, we had three granddaughters in the last two years. I, I think we owe our girls better than that. If, if we wait 25 years, all the choices are going to be bad. If, if we provide leadership today, if we say to Americans over the age of 40, nothing's going to change for you. We're going to keep all the promises we've made to you in the system you paid into. But for Americans under the age of 40, uh, we we can we can create a better deal to replace the new deal programs. I think you, right. in exchange for slight modifications of those programs, we can let people invest part of their payroll tax in a personal savings account, and and get a double or triple the rate of return you're getting in Social Security. So it, th- these are all ideas I think the American people are ready for because finally, Brian, I think the American people are seeing yeah. the relationship between the national debt. And their pocketbook, I mean, the gusher of spending in Washington, the mountain range of debt that we have in Washington, dollars that we owe to, to countries like China, uh, is, is driving the 40-year high inflation that's eating away at America's families' budgets. I think the American people are ready for an honest conversation. Right. And as we said in our launch of our campaign yesterday here in Iowa, we're going to engage the American people, we're going to be honest, and we're going to offer compassionate and common-sense reforms to save our nation from a debt crisis and preserve these programs for the future. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you two tough questions. Uh, you might have the answer, but you might, not, you, might not, you might know it's unpopular. 
would you raise the retirement age? You saw what happened in France when they did that. It's laughable. They don't want to work and they, they want to retire young, but they were able to raise it to 64. There was a, the whole country shut down. If you, does yeah. Mike Pence want to raise the retirement age? Yeah, and the retirement age in America is already above that. I mean, it, it, President Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill sat down back in the 1980s, and they negotiated a, a long-term phase-in of a higher retirement age. They preserved Social Security for another 30 years. That's what it's going to take. But that's not all that's on the table. Look, we, we Americans are living longer. We celebrate that. My mother's 91 years young, lives on her own. And I, I, look, we... we it, we, I think we can have a responsible conversation about this. But again, so yeah, I'm not talking about less less benefits. I'm talking about it's not a zero sum game. I think you could change these programs for younger Americans, combine it with letting them invest a portion of their payroll taxes in an all American company mutual fund, like we have 10 million. I know George Bush employees tried that. Today. It's called the when you were Congressman Mike Pence, you George Bush tried that. Return. But George Bush tried that and uh, into a savings account, yeah. and it did not work. Uh, it it would have worked, but it was not popular. Debt, Brian, that was when our national debt was a fraction of what it is today. And, and uh, I really do believe, as I've traveled the country, the American people are ready for for some honest leadership that says this is where we have to go. Right. Because if we leave this unchecked, honestly, Brian, our national debt will increase by five times in the next 25 years. And if we let it go till then, if we keep kicking the can the way Joe Biden and my former running mate are doing right now on this issue, uh, all the choices that our children and grandchildren right. will face will be bad. It will either be cutting programs programs or massively increasing taxes. We owe the American people better than that. Uh, I, I want to move through a little bit. Now, uh, I yeah. know you're, you're a vehemently pro-life, but America isn't. So they're somewhere between, I think, the stats show around uh, 12 to 14 weeks. So are you saying return the decision to the states or are you saying uh, get abortion to zero? Well, thank you for saying uh, my my stand on the right to life is is well known and widely known. I'm, I'm pro-life. I don't apologize for it. When I was in Congress, I authored the first legislation to defund Planned Parenthood that ever passed the Congress uh, of the United States. When I was governor, we advocated for the right to life and adoption reform. I think if you're going to be pro-life, you've got to be pro-adoption. And I couldn't be more proud to have been part of an administration that appointed three of the justices that sent Roe versus Wade to the ash heap uh, of history. But it's important, Brian, look, as we come up on that anniversary uh, of that historic decision that, that ushered in a new era for life in the country, it's important to remember the courts did not return the question of abortion to the states. They returned it to the states and the American people. And I've, I've been advocating pro-life legislation in states around the country, celebrating it in my home state and elsewhere where pro-life advances have been made. But uh, the American people also elect presidents. We also elect congressmen and senators. And I will tell you, if I'm president of the United States and in, 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 in the 15-week bill that's been proposed by Senator Lindsey Graham makes it to my desk, I'll sign it in a heartbeat. I mean, that would simply align America's laws 
to most of the rest of the Western world. Brian, in the European Union, uh, abortion is is, is limited uh, to before 12 to 15 yeah. weeks. That's the standard. Yeah. The American standard today, Joe yeah. Biden and the Democrats' standard today, abortion on demand all the way up to the moment of birth. That's what China, North Korea, and Iran's laws about abortion say. I think at every level people could count. If Mike right. Pence was president of the United States, we would stand for and advance the cause of life with principle but and at compassion 15 weeks, yeah. every day. At 15 weeks, not six. Well, look, I, I support a heartbeat bill, too. And, and if it was put on my desk, I'd sign that as well. And I, I will tell you, this notion that it goes too far, as my former running mate said, I, I think was was put to the lie in places like Georgia and Ohio, where governors signed a heartbeat bill, and then they, they won landslide victories in by almost 20 points in Ohio, and an incredible victory with Brian Kemp. Uh, against a formidable Democrat candidate in Georgia. Look, we, we've got a long way to go gotcha. okay, to win hearts and minds in this country. But I think if we do so with compassion, with generosity, with prayer, and, and with principle, um, the day will come when we restore the sanctity of life to the center of American law. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence, our guest. And Mr. Vice President, uh, Republicans are, uh, are increasingly getting dissatisfied with spending money in Ukraine. I personally think it's so worth America's interests, our own self-interest, for Ukraine to be successful. Would you fully fund the Ukrainian effort to beat Russia? Well, Brian, you're right. It, it uh, providing the the military support and the means for Ukraine to defend themselves and repel the Russian invasion is is in our national interest and and I believe it's in the interest of the free world. Look, we're we're the leader of the free world. We're the arsenal of democracy. We while the Biden administration has been uh, terribly slow in providing uh, military resources to Ukraine. The Ukrainian fighters have taken the fight to the Russians, and and I really do believe uh, that that uh, that that anyone that thinks that that Vladimir Putin would stop if he overruns U- Ukraine has another thing coming. I mean, I've met Vladimir Putin. I've looked him in the eye. It's it's clear he's trying to reassert the old Soviet sphere of influence back in the days of the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe. Uh, and if he if he over Runs Ukraine, uh, it wouldn't be too long before uh, before Russian forces rolled across a border that we would have to send uh, our men and women in uniform to fight. So I, I think right. we, we fight. We give the Ukrainians the ability to fight them there, repel the Russian invasion. I also think Brian, and you've said this as well. I think the best way we could send a message to China. Uh, that the free world will not tolerate their military aggression in the Asia-Pacific is to continue to provide the support as the leader of the free world to the Ukrainian military to drive out the Russian invasion. It's just amazing that this administration doesn't make a case for their own policy. It's nuts. General Jack Keane has done more to educate America about what's at stake and how China loses if Russia loses than anybody else. But I want you to hear Britt Hume, a great analyst who I know you like and I know likes you. But, Brian, can I I say something about that, too? Because, number one, General Jack Keane is is a national treasure. But I really think part of the reason why some in our movement 
are, are growing increasingly impatient with American support in Ukraine is because of the lack of confidence in President Joe oh, Biden. Right. I mean, that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, the, the begging Iran to get back in the Iran nuclear deal, the, the, the weakness this administration has projected abroad, and the failure to make uh, the freedoms case in Ukraine, I think, is eroding public support, including among many right. conservatives who know that, that, uh, that the war in Ukraine is not our war, but freedom is our fight. And, uh, but I'm going to continue to stand strong for that right. while my former running mate, while, while others take a different posture, uh, I'm going to yeah. lean into America's leadership in the, the world. That'll be a big debate topic. Here, I want you to hear what Britt Hume said last night uh, after you yeah. announced. Cut 10. It's a little unclear to me what Pence is going to try to run on. Um, you know, he can say he's a solid conservative. Nobody would dispute that. But the field is full of solid conservatives with views not really different from from Mike Pence's views, despite the New York Times' assertions that the party's gone completely different. It hasn't entirely at all. And if you're running to be the, uh, the alternative to Trump, uh, being a solid traditional conservative is where you want to be. But there are lots of people who can make that claim. So what do you say about uh, Britt Hume, who I think you, uh, you agree is fair? He says it's unclear the lane you want. Well, I, I have boundless respect for Britt Hume, uh, but he's not given the whole picture. I mean, truthfully, I, as we tried to describe today, and my wife did a wonderful job introducing us yesterday here in Iowa, is uh, uh, I, I've come to the conclusion, Brian, that, that I, I'm well known, but I'm not known well. I mean, most Americans know me as a loyal vice president standing by the president's side in an administration that advanced an agenda that made America stronger and more prosperous. I, I, I stood by his side right up until my oath to the Constitution uh, that required me to do otherwise. But that's how most people know me. But what they don't know is that I was a conservative champion in the Congress. What they don't know is that I was a conservative governor that balanced budgets and achieved record employment. And so part of the story for us is just making sure the American people know that in these incredibly challenging times, we, we believe, and I say with humility, that my background and experience at the state level, at the federal level in the Congress, and yeah. representing America at home and abroad as vice president, makes us uniquely qualified uh, to lead an administration that would turn the country yeah. around. But secondly, as I said Real yesterday, that, that beyond our difference, our ongoing difference about my role on that that fateful day two years ago, uh, I, I have real differences with my former running mate on America's leadership in the world, notably about the war in Ukraine. I have real differences about our commitment to fiscal discipline and reform and tackling the national debt. Right. And when I see uh, the former president <clears throat> literally blaming election defeats in 2022 on overturning Roe versus Wade and starting to back away and others in the field backing away from an gotcha. unambiguous commitment to the right to life, that, that I, we're, we're going to lay out a very clear choice. Question. I'm going to run without apology on gotcha. a solid conservative agenda yeah. and on my experience. Mr. Vice President, thanks so much. You know, you're a radio guy. We're up against a hard break. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. I went a little alone with the vice president, but he is pumped up and he does think he has a lane. I don't know if you got his point across, but he separates the president on spending. He separates on entitlements. He separates on Ukraine and he separates on January 6th. He said there were some irregularities with the election. We all agree on that. 
but he said unable to prove anything. She folded the tent and gone home. If the president had done what Mike Pence said, the president would be running with Mike Pence virtually alone in this field, maybe with one or two candidates. Because if he had just said, I don't like the way this ended, man, it doesn't seem right, but I got 72 million votes, more than any Republican in history, 20 million more than I got when I won the first time, I'll I'll be back. But everyone makes decisions, you have to live with them. Uh, It's going to be an exciting race. I love it. 11 people in the field, they all got strong attributes, and they all have some vulnerabilities. That's what's going to make it fun. Also, special thanks to Percy Miller, Master Pete, for coming in. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from a yellowish New York City. No joke. Uh, It's like jaundice uh, for the last three days. It's probably going to go on for another two. Thanks, Canada. Your burning forests have polluted our airways through the whole northeast seaboard. And they basically said something that reminded me of very 2020. Stay indoors. Really? Stay indoors. At least they're not demanding it and arresting us if we do. And we're allowed to eat uh, and go to our jobs. But it is pretty poisonous, the air. They say it's the most, the worst air in the entire world in New York City. Uh, Daniel Bilak will be joining us from or Ukraine. He's a member of the Territorial Defense Force of Ukraine, former chief investment officer there for the prime minister. Daniel will tell us the latest on this war and the surge that we expect, the offense, the counteroffensive that we look forward to. So let's first get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Does it say to you that an indictment is near? Do you believe that? I suspect it's I suspect it's near. I've said for a while that I think this is the most dangerous legal risk facing the former president. Yeah. And if I had to bet, I would bet that it's near. There you go. Bill Barr weighing in Trump trouble indictment looming and the Mar-a-Lago document case. Why I think. The unjust and what and why I think it's unjust and what another Trump indictment will do for the GOP race. Number two. Two weeks ago, and Senator Grassley will testify to this, the FBI wouldn't even admit that this document existed. And now, not only are they admitting the document existed, they've allowed me to go in and look at a redacted version. Yeah, why is that? Just give it up, the FBI. Ray of Hope, the FBI provides whistleblower documents that allege a bribery scheme from President Biden and his family. As William Barr makes it clear, Jamie Raskin is like Adam Schiff, a liar. The latest in the investigation. Number one. I had hoped he would come around and see that he had been misled about my role that day. But that was not to be. It wasn't. And Vice President Mike Pence on with us shortly, but making his announcement right there. Attacking Trump, Christian Pence opened fire on the front runner. Former President Trump, as they make their case for the nomination, we look at the path to the winner's circle for someone as the field seems set. I think we're done. I mean, don't, I don't think anyone else is jumping in. Mark Thiessen joins us now. Mark, do you think we're done? Well, I haven't announced yet. Mark Thiessen, go <laughs> ahead. Uh, you have something to say. I know you're going to write your own speeches. No, I think I think we're done. I think I, I hope we're done. <laughs> I think we've got a few too many. I don't know what Doug Burgum is trying to do <laughs> in getting into the race. No one had ever – I mean, he sounds like he's a good guy, a good governor, but nobody ever heard of him. Uh, I don't know what Asa Hutchison is doing in the race. I mean, yeah, that it, it, we've, it, we've, we need a field 
a small field of people. This is basically the two primaries going on, right? There's the GOP primary to take on Joe Biden, but there's also a within the Republican Party, a primary to challenge Donald Trump. And at some point, that's got to be one person. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we can't if, – if, if they follow the script of 2016 where you just hope you're going to be the last man standing like Ted Cruz at the end, by that time it's too late. Uh, so they've, they've got to get down to one person. And I think, you know, all these, everybody who's thrown their hat in the ring has a case to make. Uh, let's see who catches a wave. If anyone catches a wave, I think it's, I think it's doable. Um, if you look at the breakdown of the GOP electorate, uh, CBS poll actually had the best numbers on this. There's basically, there's about a quarter of the Republican electorate who are what I'd call hard MAGA who are just, they're, they're, they're for Trump and they're not considering other candidates. There's about a a quarter of the electorate that's not MAGA, that is not considering Trump under any circumstances. And then 50 percent say they're they're basically what I call soft MAGA, which is they like Trump. Uh, Some of them say they're considering him, but they're also considering other candidates, and they're open. And so what that means is three-quarters of the electorate is, is, of the GOP electorate is open. It's up for grabs. Uh, so if somebody can sort of merge the soft MAGA with the not MAGA uh, and consolidate that vote, they can beat Trump. I mean, he's he's, he's at 52 percent in, in the real clear politics average. I mean, half the Republican Party doesn't want him. So, you know, it's it, it can be done as long as it's not right. divided. Field. Or, or somebody they want somebody else, but they might take him second. But right now yeah. to Biden and Quinnipiac poll, which tend to lean left, 48, 46 Biden, which is crazy, and DeSantis only leads by one forty-seven, forty-six. That's a national poll of about two thousand yeah. people. But yeah. you, it's also pointed out in the same poll: sixty-five percent of Americans think the president is too old to run again and should yeah. not. Yes, that that is absolutely correct. He shouldn't. He, and and so here's the thing: there's probably not a the only Republican who could lose to Biden is Trump. I mean, and, and you can see this also in the CBS poll. So they 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 asked. I'm sorry, there was a Wall Street Journal poll. Uh, they asked people who disapprove of Biden and also disapprove of Trump. Biden wins those people by 39 points. So you know, if you're, it's pretty clear that Americans don't want a Biden-Trump rematch. And so the first party to figure that out and nominate somebody else is going to win. <laughs> And so, you know, the question Republicans have to ask themselves is, you know, do you want to win this? Is is avenging Trump more important than beating Biden? And by the way, it's not just beating Biden, um, because, you know, if you just look at the actuarial tables, it, you know, most <coughs> Americans uh, only in, the average American male has a about a 40 uh, percent chance, 42 percent chance of reaching the age of 85. Biden would be 86 at the end of his first term. So that means there's a significant chance that Kamala Harris could become president if, if Biden and Harris win another term. Is that risk worth, you know, worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, well, mean, I think America is at uh, America likes Trump's policies. I mean, I, you know, you yes, and I agree I like that Trump's I like policies. I like my Ukraine policy better than his. I, yeah. I do think it's of national interest. The president doesn't. But I get it. You know, he just said, listen, I don't want to be involved in following wars. We want to get him back. Everyone looks at Iraq and says, uh, I wish I didn't support that war. Not everybody, but most people do. And they say it's not popular in the Republican Party to say it. But in terms of his tax reform, in terms of his, his vigilance on the border, much like, rather the Trump policies. Abraham you, Accords, yeah. Supreme Court justices. I mean, you know, go down the list. If, if, you know, if Trump with the mute button on was a great presidency. 
Now, <laughs> but, we now, don't, but you don't get to have a president with a mute button on. And he, he alienated so many people who could who would have rallied to those policies. Are they retrievable? Are they convincible? I don't think they are. I think there's a the number. There's a significant part of the electorate that is just done with Donald Trump. Um, and and it's not a matter of it, I mean, as as much as Republican, I mean, there's 80 percent approval in the Republican Party. If you ask me, do I approve of Trump's policies? I would say I would be one of that 80 percent. I thought he was a great president, despite some of my disagreements with him on certain things. Um, and but the Republican electorate is not going to choose the next president. It's going to be a few hundred thousand swing voters in five states. And they are unalterably opposed to Donald Trump. And, you, you know, and they these mm-hmm. are people who disapprove of Biden, but disapprove of Trump more. And, you know, how many elections is it going to take us to learn this? You know, mm-hmm. are we are we going to give Biden and Harris another four years and take down chances of winning back the Senate in the process and let them put put it and put at risk our narrow House majority and take the risk that. You know, we, Mansion and Cinema may not be in the in the Senate next year. They're going to get rid of the filibuster and ram through all this crazy crap that they would they want to put impose on the American people. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just not willing to take that risk in order to avenge Donald Trump. So one thing is, how do you win? Uh, and Donald Trump says, as tough as it gets, resilient. It's very tough to rattle him. Uh, he likes being on the attack or counter offensive. So yesterday, yeah. after Chris Christie made his announcement, somebody on Truth Social on the president's account put together a mock. Looking at a, bu- a big buffet because Chris Christie, they uh, I guess the president feels fat overweight. Joke. So fat it makes joke. a fat joke. So here's what fat Chris joke. Christie said. Cut five. He's a juvenile. He's a baby. Only children talk like that. He never said that about me when he offered me White House chief of staff. He never said that about me when he offered me secretary of Homeland Security twice. Never said that about me when he offered me secretary of labor. I wasn't any of those things then. Look. The minute you speak out against him, Brett, you know what he does? He lashes back out like a child. And if you or I were raising that child, we'd send them to the room, not to the White House. Your your thought about his answer? Got jokes. I mean, you know, seriously, that's where that's where we are. <laughs> that's going to win over. I mean, this is Donald Trump's fatal flaw: is that he is so focused on throwing red meat to his base that he doesn't even try to win over people who didn't support him the last time around. He doesn't even try to win over people who didn't vote for him in 2016 but liked his policies, were doing better under his presidency, and and could have voted for him in 2020. He know he he he's so focused on on, you know, childish attacks and 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 energizing his base that he alienates those people. And so the reason he's a one-term president is cuz successful two-term presidents, you know, they go out and convince people who didn't vote for them the first time to vote for them the second time, and 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 build their build their base instead of instead of uh, in their coalition instead of just alienating people, and you know that's where we are right now. Uh, so right. I, I we we need a new we need a new standard bearer who can win over who can win over swing voters, and 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 continue the continue the policy legacy of Trump without the baggage. So let's well, let's talk about another thing that's happening at the same time. James Comer making uh, some progress, trying to get to the bottom of the fact and answer the question: Is Joe Biden corrupt, and is his family part of this? Whole thing. So let's find out if there's evidence. We find out with these bank records, mysterious uh, uh, companies, uh, shell companies that are opened up. We see millions flowing in and out from various countries, from Kazakhstan to Russia to China. But they want to find out what's going on. And then they find out there's a 1023 form filled out by a reliable informant with the FBI with a good track record three years ago. 
that was given to the FBI, taken down, and nothing's happened with it. So Comer wants to find out. The, the FBI says, we don't even know. We don't know what you're talking about. Finally, they say, well, you do know what we're talking about. We had the whistleblower come forward, the guy who blew the whistle and says they are not pursuing this bribery scheme that Joe Biden's in the middle of. No one's f- fulfilled it. So Raskin and Comer uh, finally get Christopher Ray to show him the document, at which time they have a totally different take on what the document says. Here's Comer, because now Christopher Ray has agreed to give the whole oversight committee the document that evidently shows a whistleblower coming forward shows this corrupt scheme. Here is James Comer, Cup 15. Two weeks ago, and Senator Grassley will testify to this, the FBI wouldn't even admit that this document existed. And now, not only are they admitting the document existed, they've allowed me to go in and look at a redacted version, and they're allowing, uh, they're offering right now temporarily agreement here to let committee members go in and and look at the, the document. So Raskin comes out and says there's nothing there. Cut 17. Not only were there no criminal charges, there was no escalation of the FBI's investigation that was ordered by Scott Brady or by Attorney General William Barr. They all signed off on ending that investigation. We found out almost every word he said is untrue. William Barr told me that I never ended this investigation. I referred it to Delaware to be investigated. The bigger question is, what has happened over the last four years? Where is the result of any investigation from Hunter on down? So Raskin is doing his Adam Schiff impersonation again. Yeah, no, it, it's terrible. I mean, look here, here he he. I mean, he, it, it may be that he's just confusing two different investigations because the he said that Barr uh, referred it to the Pennsylvania U.S. Attorney's Office in Pennsylvania and that they closed the investigation. But Barr says what one Barr says what he's saying is not true. So his source. Of, of what he's saying is is contradicting him. But two, Barr says he referred it to the U.S. attorney in Delaware. So it may be that Raskin has just got two different – talking about two different things. I don't think get so. It. I mean he you was know, just maybe, sent it to a skiffle one. I mean, you know, they, they, it could be true that, they, that there was an investigation referred to Pennsylvania that was closed, but there's not one that wasn't closed that was referred to, uh, referred to the U.S. attorney in Delaware. I mean, but here's the thing. The FBI has so lied to the American people yep. so often about so many things, I mean, and not just to the American people. They lied to the FISA court. They falsified, intel- they falsified evidence to the FISA court. They, 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 they used the Steele dossier, which they knew now we know because of the, because of the Durham uh, report. They knew it was untrue and still used it. And continued to use it to investigate the Trump campaign and sent us on this wild goose chase that cost two years of his presidency, tens of millions of dollars, and was nothing more than a conspiracy theory. But they similarly didn't don't, don't investigate Joe Biden and all these things. This is an agency that has completely lost the trust of the American people. Congressional Democrats who lied to us about the Durham about the Mueller probe over and over again, you know, now are lying about this. It's you know there's so much trust that has been lost uh, that and 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 may never be regained um, that you know they've got to they got to just they, they got to stop this and and be and be upfront with the American people about what's actually happening. The two things happened this week that shows how you could be successful in this primary. Tim Scott went on the View. He became a story, a legitimate story. Beautiful. And next was uh, Grand DeSantis sending his National Guard down to the border and then sending him over to California. You're a sanctuary state. You're the cause of this. You're the reason why everyone's coming. Uh, And when Gavin Newsom attacks him back, that even makes it better. 
and then you watch him at the border where he belongs, Governor DeSantis, and then taking actions with the illegals, all showing that they were not taken against their will. So Ron DeSantis understands the mission, he understands the issue, and he knows how to stay in the news. Do you agree? I agree, and we have an embarrassment of riches in this party. I mean, the future of the Republican Party is so bright. Tim Scott is such a superstar uh, has got such a great future for the Republican Party. Ron DeSantis knows how to ca- knows how to counterpunch with that, and he knows how to do all the things that we like about Donald Trump while also winning independents, women, and Hispanics. <laughs> um, you know, and and Mike Pence is a courageous American who just threw his hat in the ring, who you know put the Constitution ahead of his own personal ambitions, and who knows if Donald Trump's lies about January sixth and about him and what he could do are going to hurt him. But it, it, there's just so much talent in the Republican field. I, I, I just can't believe that we're going to go where the Republicans are going to mm. go for Trump again when they've got such any one of these people could absolutely mm. destroy Joe Biden. We'll see. Uh, after I watched what happened with Senator Fetterman, I can't take anything for granted. Some things seem pre, uh, pre-booked. Uh, thanks so much, Mark yeah. Thiessen. Appreciate All right. it. Take care, Brian. All right. Always educational. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Your calls are next. Finally. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, John, you're listening on KSEV in Houston, Texas. Hey, John. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, just fascinated by uh, Mike Thiessen's comments about uh, Trump and uh, needing to move on. I'm, I voted for Trump twice. I, I'm not sure who, where I want to go, but I'm listening to people like Thiessen to, to what he has to say and what you have to say, too, as far as that goes. So you're still up in the air. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not dug in for the third one. You had two is enough. No, I, I think so. And, and I'm, I'm looking at, like, who's going to be the vice president you know, uh, like Thiessen said, uh, we have a riches, uh, embarrassment of riches as far as Republican candidates. And uh, I like Tim Scott and Mick, Nikki Haley. They're great. Uh, you know, even Mike Pence, I, you know, I'd even consider him, although he's kind of like a senior statesman, right? <laughs> he's 64, and I don't think he'll do vice president again. It's going to be vice president or nothing. I can't picture him doing it. And I just think, and I was going to ask him, we'll get him on again. If there was no January 6th, he'd still be running with Trump. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he did a great job for President Trump. He's the perfect complement, understood the temperament, understood his weaknesses and his strengths, knew how to let Trump be Trump, but also knew how to go and negotiate with Congress and say what was possible as opposed to what would be CEO Trump's objective. He'd say, well, we got to deal with politics. Let me handle it. I'll come back and tell you what the best I could get is. And I watched them work together, and they couldn't be more opposite and respectful. It's a shame what happened, but it happens a lot. Cheney and W don't really talk. Gore and Clinton don't really talk. And I don't think Obama and Biden talk much. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
today the Armed Services Committee got, has received a briefing. And I can tell you that uh, from the U.S. perspective, I think we're very confident that the Ukrainians are ready, that they have the equipment that they need. Uh, they certainly have the spirit, as President Zelensky has rallied his country and the world on this as a fight for democracy. Uh, I think the Ukrainians are, are up for this fight, uh, and the Russians are certainly going to see, I think, uh, th their forces being pushed back uh, to the border in Ukraine, retaking their territory. Congressman Mike Turner, fresh off a visit to Ukraine, optimistic the counteroffensive will get a lot, large chunks of Ukraine back in Ukrainian hands. But the bigger news is the destruction of a dam. Effectively, uh, we don't really know. Uh, it's changed the front lines. We know that in the eastern bank uh, uh, of the river. But we actually don't know who did it and who would benefit by it. But the whole city of Kyrgyzstan has been severely hampered. It's been flooded. you got to see an overhead shot of this. It's devastating. You would think that the Russians wouldn't do it because it's really devastated them and a lot of their positions and their minefields. Uh, with me right now is Daniel Bielak. He is over in Ukraine right now and former advisor to the prime minister. Daniel, welcome. Do you have any idea who blew up that mine? Well, um, that uh, dam, excuse I mean, me? Yeah, no, no. Uh, great to be back on your show, Brian. Um, look, it beggars belief that the Ukrainians would do this on the eve of a, of a major counteroffensive. Like, we don't have anything else to do except save, save tens of thousands of people uh, from drowning, pulling them out of rivers, there are the animals, and, and, and dealing with an environmental disaster. I mean, you know, I think part of the problem is that people still ascribe the rational actor model to the Russians. You don't think this stuff through. They say they're scared to death of our counteroffensive. They knew that they were vulnerable in that part of Kherson. And so they said, well, let's, let's finally blow this dam. They've been setting the information conditions for this for, for ages. You know, they've, they've controlled the dam for over a year. We have not controlled it. Uh, it was blown clearly from the inside. Even U.S. experts are saying that. You know, they've been, they've been, they've been uh, uh, you know, worried about, they've been so worried about the, uh, the counteroffensive that their government, had passed a regulation, a law, days before the, the, the dam blew, forbidding any inspections of hydroelectric dams in the event of terrorism. So, I mean, you know, you, you, so it's against Russian law to actually find out what happened there. I mean, this is clearly done with, uh, with the intent of trying to uh, create yet another disaster. And this is just the way they operate. You know, you're adding ecocide to genocide is uh, in the pantheon of war crimes. Uh, that, the, that the Russians have committed. You know, it, it, yeah, yeah, of course, it, you know, they didn't think through that this was actually going to take out their first line of defense on the, on the eastern shore. They, have their, they didn't even tell their soldiers. Soldiers are sitting in trees on the, on, on the east side, and they've done nothing to help the, the, survive, the, the people that were under their occupation. Zero. Uh, people from Kherson, from, from the Ukrainian-occupied side, the Ukrainian-held side, are, are risking their lives to go over in dinghies to try to pull these people out of their homes. The Russians are doing nothing. Our president went down there today. He's in Kherson. Trying, you know, he went to see for himself, try to rally the people, etc. You know, Putin claims Kherson is Russian territory. Where is he? Sitting in his bunker. You know, and, 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 they're, and, they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're terrified of this counteroffensive. We're already moving forward in Bakhmut. We're take, regaining ground there. Uh, we're starting a pincer movement, and we've started movements in Zaporizhia. So it's it's underway. We're gonna we're gonna knock these bastards right back to Orkestan. Amazing, Sorry, uh, because I have said that word maybe. No, you can. No, it's okay. Uh, what about the nuclear plant? Do you think the nuclear plant's in danger? Well, this 
this is this is the whole problem of the, this is the whole whole danger of what they've done that they haven't thought through is that i mean they've been they've been threatening to 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 do something and blow up the uh, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant which as you know is the largest power uh, nuclear plant in in uh, in Europe and if that water level falls below 36 feet which is very it's it's approaching pretty quickly you could have a meltdown there that could actually create uh, a, a nuclear disaster that's going to affect all of Europe. And moreover, you've got, you know, with, with the water carrying all of these high, high toxins. I mean, the, the, the flooding has wiped out factories along the banks uh, that, were, that, that hold gasoline and, and all sorts of other toxic uh, uh, chemicals. And all of that's being floated down into the Black Sea. And it's going to affect Romania, Bulgaria, Turkey. Um, it could affect climate change. I mean, this, this is this is a massive, massive environmental disaster. It is it's the largest man-made disaster probably in decades. And you know, just because they, they this is what they do when they know that they're gonna that they can't fight against the Ukrainian army, they fight against the Ukrainian people. And it's been like this in Bucha, in Irpin, all the slaughter, the the mass graves. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know, Brian. I don't know what, how much more evidence the world needs of this is how Russia behaves to wonder about who did it and some sort of moral equivalency. I mean, this is just the way they operate. Human life means nothing. They're terrorists. It's a terrorist state. This is a terrorist act. So a lot of people uh, on the right are, are getting tired of writing the checks. They seem to be running on that. As you know, I firmly believe a Ukraine win is an American win and a China loss. Here is Congressman Jim Himes, a Democrat from Connecticut. Cut 30. This institution, the Congress, is very strongly behind continuing to support the war in Ukraine against the Russians. And I think that's not just a Congress or a U.S. issue. That is a NATO and Western issue. People understand that if Putin gets anything out of this, this will not be the last time we see it. Now, um, some of the uh, supposed critics of the effort are saying, hey, we should have better accountability about where the money is going, where the weapons are going. That's all fair. That's all fair. People can say we want to make sure that these weapons and all of the aid that we're being provided, that is being provided to the Ukrainians is being used well. That's different than saying I oppose aid, which I will tell you, and I think the chairman would agree, is a, is a, is a pretty fringy view around here right now. Right. So I hope so, uh, because it's just so important. We can't go halfway. It's going to kill our reputation if we ever do. So looking at that, I also think that um, I also think I, we just had Mike Pence on. He'd be firmly for continue to fund Ukraine. But could, when you look at from what you know and can share, have you gotten what you've asked for and been pledged to you? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Brian, I, I think, all look, it's all fair in terms of accountability. Our books are open. We've had three inspectors general from the United States to show up and go through where things have gone. Um, you know, we are totally transparent with all of our uh, of our allies. And, you know, we finally are we finally got the. I think we finally got the kit and the quantities we need uh, to, to launch a counteroffensive. And frankly, you know, I think that this is what the Russians are afraid of. They know that their, their army is a nothing burger. And they know that they are going, they have no reserves beyond the lines that they hold. And when we start coming at them, uh, my guess is that their lines are going to start collapsing. And, you know, this happened in, this, in the First World War. It happened in the Russo-Japanese Russo, uh, War in 1905. And, you know, things aren't, things aren't going well inside Russia, you know? I mean, there's a lot of political haggling. But, you know, I just want to come back to the point about what, what's in this for America. Yep. You know, our, our, this is going to be our common victory. 
because victory is going to save the United States billions of dollars. Right now, it's costing the American taxpayer 50 cents a day, less than a cup of coffee. And because if we, if we, if we, when we win in Europe, we will bring real peace and stability. Russia will be on the back foot. China will be on the back foot. And we, it will mean that the United States does not have to spend even more money defending Europe. And as you pointed out, uh, and, and without risking American lives to do it, we're not asking for Americans to put boots on the ground. We're just asking to help us get it done. And as you pointed out, your reputation is on the line. And the message will be to all sorts of people, if Putin's allowed to win, that, hey, you know, all we need is some nuclear weapons and America's going to run scared. And America can't be counted on to defend freedom. So, you know, let's, uh, let's bring on uh, more tyranny and totalitarianism. You know, the American people have always, and, and I as a Canadian grew up with this, and I believe it firmly, that freedom is the key to peace, stability, and prosperity, yeah. both in the United States and abroad. It has been the key to that, to American success and American lifestyles over the past 70 years. Just help us get it done. It's our, it's our common victory. Lastly, Daniel is there, and we're talking to Daniel uh, Bilak. He's over in uh, Ukraine now in the middle of a war-torn country that's lost about 42,000 civilians because the Russians can't beat the army, so they try to kill innocent people. And sadly, they are successful in doing that. Daniel, don't you guys have, are, do you guys have an election coming up? Uh, I know you have strong party politics. Is, is everything on hold right now? Well, yeah, I don't think you could really hold an election at this stage. We don't, we don't have an election until next uh, next spring, Brian. Oh, okay, uh, good. With the president, with the presidential election. So, you know, we're 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 super uh, confident and and uh, that this is going to be done this year or early next year with uh, with your with your help, God willing. All right, uh, Daniel, stay safe. Thanks so much. God bless the people of the United States. Brian, thanks a lot for having me on. And keep fighting. Thank you very much uh, for taking on our enemy, too. Uh, it's Russia. They chose They chose to be the enemy of the West. They were invited to the G7. It was a G8. They were invited in the family of nations. They were power brokers when sanctions went on. China and Russia were once going along with it. They chose to bow out. Uh, they make up excuses that NATO's expansion was a threat to them. NATO's expansion was never a threat to them. These were countries that wanted to make sure they weren't taken back over by Russia because the Soviet Union destroyed the lives of generations of their people, and they wanted to make sure it didn't happen again. So all the excuses are baked in. They chose to be enemies, and thankfully the good guys are winning, and hopefully this summer will be the summer that Ukraine takes their country back. Brian Kilmeade Show, your call's next. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Donald Trump is not committed to the rule of law, and he proved that. Just to be clear, you don't think he's committed to the rule of law at all? No. No, Brett, I don't. I look... You know, the minute he's being investigated by the Department of Justice now for what he's done with the classified documents, we're going to see what they're going to do. But he's already calling them Marxist and fascist. I commented on the indictment in Manhattan. I said it was political and I think it was wrong to do. And if I was the prosecutor in Manhattan, I would never have brought that case. 
But he was talking about something different when it comes to Mar-a-Lago. And he did want to back out specifics, but Chris Christie knows the lane for him and everybody else in the 11-person race on the GOP side is through the indictments and and, uh, maybe eventual conviction of President Trump. Because right now, he is pretty much in command of the entire field. And most people, he has the most fervent supporters. But I just think there's so much talent between Tim Scott, between Chris Christie. Nobody could doubt the, the, the competence of Vice President Mike Pence. Then you have the, even the governor of North Dakota with this the self-made billionaire who is running a state effectively, who is extremely organized and went back and then joined Microsoft, sold his company to Microsoft and was there for seven years and pushed that pretty successful company forward. So, I mean, it's a pretty potent field. Uh, and before I get to your phone calls, by the way, you're writing me at BrianKillMe.com. Uh, this is from Patricia. She says, I just heard Vi- uh, Vice President's speech. Uh, uh, Vice President's speech yesterday after Trump should not be president with bitterness and snobbery. He should have sent the letter to the Senate before he certified the electoral votes. Number two, he said he had all kinds of debates with Trump, but not in public. Why doesn't he state that Trump was denied the National Guard by Pelosi on January 6th? Uh, in his speech yesterday, uh, he was obnoxious. Okay, uh, that's how you felt about it. Uh, other people have pointed out that when Mike Pence was just on with us, he did not mention the president's name, and that bothered that bothered them. Uh, Rock was on WNIS in Virginia. Hey, Rock. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, man, the thing with Trump, I like him, but he's starting to isolate himself because he's throwing some of his biggest supporters under the bus. So I keep hearing people talk about um, people running against them. What I'm not hearing is people talk about who may step up to become his vice president if he gets the nomination. And I feel like if you're gathering and building political capital and you take the long view and see how he's treated some of the people who have surrounded him, are you going to be willing to spend it if you're an up-and-comer, or are you going to take the long view and just maybe next go around try it again? Uh, I mean, are you going to take a chance on, on siding with him and maybe he throws you under the bus at a later date? Yeah, I mean, well, him and Pence were inseparable, perfect for each other, inverse in many ways, until the end on January 6th. He almost got him killed and was said, well, he should have done the right thing when they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. It's crazy. Also, Republicans showing up, heckling uh, other candidates. I was, As I mentioned before, I was at a Governor DeSantis event, and the, the Trump supporters were screaming at him. I'm thinking to myself, he's just Trump. He's 30 years younger uh, and a slightly different background, but they have a lot of the same beliefs. They were doing the same thing to Mike Pence. Um, so, the, you know, there's people, the people that are supporting Trump don't want to hear any disloyalty at all, where I think Trump has to realize if he just runs like his 2016, you know, just winging it, showing up, talking about 2020 and uh, how bad Joe Biden is, I think he needs more. I think he needs to have fun out there. I think he needs to be self-deprecating like uh, we're talking about him going down that ramp in the rain after an academy commencement address or about his hair. He was having fun at CPAC. Someone showed me the tape the other day when he was saying, look what all I do to to avoid my uh, bald spot in the back. That type thing. If he shows a different dimension and then some some suburban suburbanites would say, you know what, maybe we should give this guy another shot. The economy was better. The foreign policy was better. People feared us. Our enemies feared us. Maybe we should do that. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that uh, that Trump thinks he could just go out there because he's got so much fervent support. Well, he has to realize he needs more support. Here is uh, uh, more, a little bit more from Governor Christie. 
he was talking about um, the way Trump approaches things and why he wanted to uh, run against him. Cut seven. Well, you just said the Russian investigation was handled really poorly and actually portrayed and now portrays the former president. He portrays himself as a victim because of what happened. And it's happened numerous times now. Well, look, he was a victim in that instance. Right. And, and I don't I don't deny that. And I said it at the time. Doesn't mean he's committed to the rule of law, Brett. Not every victim is committed to the rule of law. Um, and he is not a victim alone. He is a perpetrator. How? I mean, how, how is he a perpetrator? I mean, about all this, Mar-a-Lago, Georgia, I don't know. Uh, I don't see it that way. I don't know how he's a perpetrator. I tell you, I, I would say that Chris Christie would do well, attack when have to, but I also say go out there and talk about what you're going to do and how you can get it done. And don't be afraid of boring people. Here's the deal with Medicare. This is what I would do. I got to go into entitlements. This is how I would do it. And then see where we go. Another intriguing person is uh, the Governor Bergram from North Dakota. He'll probably be on tomorrow. His background and his success is the reason our founding fathers set up a system like we have. Not to make it a career, but to make it a service. Hey, you're smart. You're successful. Do you mind helping out the country? That's the sense I get when I when I hear about, read about, and have a chance to talk to Governor Bergham. Listen to this. Cut eight. It shouldn't be a surprise that... Small-town values have guided me my entire life. Small-town values are at the core of America. And frankly, big cities could use more ideas and more values from small towns right now. (laughs) But I believe then, and I still believe now, and I believe it deeply, that unlimited opportunity exists everywhere in America. And I mean, he did it. Uh, he just came out, had a software idea. He went so he went so well, took a lot of risks that he ends up selling it uh, to a major company, Microsoft. And then he went back and did it again. And then he said, what else do I got to do? Well, might as well be governor. And he wins. So let's just keep an eye on him. I'm not saying he's going to win. I'm not saying he's better or worse than Trump. But I just talk about competence. This is the type of idea. Once you may have it successful, you wonder what's next for you. A lot of people say, I want to go into politics. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. All right, from 40th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Outkick reporter Michael Gunzelman. Uh, Mike is uh, Mike is going to talk about what everybody's talking about in and out of the sports world: the merger, the stunning merger of Live and the PGA. I don't know how it's going to look, but I've never seen more people outraged. Uh, and surprised at the same time. And I don't know whatever happened to Greg Norman. We'll talk about that. And the other big story, even if you're not a soccer fan, at 34 years old, Lionel Messi remains the best player in the world and the most famous, maybe the best player ever. And out of all the countries he could go to and all the clubs he could play for, every one of them was offering him. Saudi Arabia offered him a billion dollars. He's chosen to come to Inter-Miami. He's got a first game is going to be July 21st. It's huge news. Everyone will be talking about it. But right now, let's talk about the 2024 race. We know yesterday the governor of North Dakota, the former governor of Indiana, Vice President Mike Pence, Chris Christie the day before, really round out an 11-person field. Is everybody going to finish runner-up to Trump? Mark Pence, president of Stagwell Group, uh, past advisor to President Clinton. Uh, and he is also, the most recent findings, he's also running the uh, the Harvard 
Caps Harris poll has got some fascinating results. Mark, welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. First off, uh, about 11, from what you could tell, with Governor Sununu saying I'm not going to be in and Governor Yunkin indicating he's not, is this it? Well, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans have very opposite problems. In the Republicans, there are too many candidates. In the Democrats, you could argue not enough. So uh, uh, I, I hope it's enough because now they're obviously already filling two debate stages. So we just had Mike Pence on. We know he gave a speech the day before. He says where he differs from the president on spending. I want to go and tackle entitlements. Where he differs from the president's on Ukraine. It's absolutely a war we have to be successful with. And where he differs and, and basically on tone and tenor. Is there a lane for Mike Pence with that type of old school conservative beliefs? Uh, I, I think the limitation on Mike Pence is not his beliefs. I think it's that he really had four years to be in a commanding position for the Republican nomination. And typically, you see on the Democratic side, a vice president will come out of a vice presidency and be number one and have 30 to 40 percent of the people who really want to promote that person to be president. And you just don't see that that happened in this case. So he had four years of exposure. And, and it didn't really give him a big constituency for the presidency. So I'm not saying he can't win. I'm just saying he's got the, one of the more uphill battles here. So your recent poll is fascinating. Hypothetical matchup. Trump beats Biden by seven. Quinnipiac has Biden uh, winning by up by two and trailing DeSantis by one. You have Trump up by seven and DeSantis tied with Biden, which is stunning to me. 62% of the voters think Biden should not run for president. 31% of them are Democrats, 87% are uh, Republicans, 73%, this is a stunning number, are independents. Should not run. I never remember that number before. It's got everything to do with age, too. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Joe Biden's not the strongest Democratic candidate. I mean, that's just the numbers are pretty clear. His job rating's in the low 40s. A lot of people generally think he shouldn't be running. Most Democrats think he should be running, but still about a quarter of them uh, would, would say no, and certainly enough voters not to give him the presidency. So uh, he's running. Uh, is he going to really make it you know, to the finish line? Um, I think in order to make it to the finish line, uh, the, the, I think the budget deal was probably pretty helpful because uh, it showed that, A, he was, you know, on top of things enough and made a uh, made a deal and did some bipartisan action and angered the left a bit. So uh, but but unless his numbers move, I, I think that there may be a reconsideration phase here in the in the in the fall. It would be it would be unbelievably big, big news if uh, Mark, I'm sure I'm not telling you, but Republicans didn't get the wave. And most people believe uh, at midterms because of abortion and because they could not get a message out there and, re, and re, Democrats ran that Republicans want to take women's rights away. Here's what Mike Pence does, arguably the most pro-life governor and vice president and American out there today. Here's what he said about how we would handle this as an issue. And I will tell you, if I'm president of the United States and in and and, and the 15-week bill that's been proposed by Senator Lindsey Graham makes it to my desk, I'll sign it in a heartbeat. I mean, that would simply align America's laws to most of the rest of the Western world. I support a heartbeat bill, too. And, and if it was put on my desk, I'd sign that as well. Your thoughts about that, because Republicans want an effective message. Was that, was that it? Look, I, I, I think the Republicans... 
did lose a lot on abortion. I think public opinion is is around 15 or 16 weeks. Uh, I think that the heartbeat is, you know, which is generally at six weeks, is something that kind of works in the Republican primary, but it's not really going to work with the general electorate. So you believe that the Lindsey Graham idea that that Mike Pence would sign is is a message that would resonate? Well, Lindsey Graham wanted a national standard. I, you know, I'm not sure that any national standard will ever kind of successfully pass Congress. I, I, I think the Supreme Court's idea was let, let the states decide and let there be some variation based on the cultures of the states. Uh, look, I think that's probably more where the public is because New York and California is never going to want 16 weeks. And Illinois, which is actually about 50 to 60 percent of the abortions are really in those three states. Uh, they're not going to go along with a more limited national standard. So, you know, really the formula here, I think, for ending turmoil on abortion is to is to let states make their decisions. But I, I, I was really rather surprised also that DeSantis side the sixth week, because I think that'll hurt him in the general election if he gets there. How do you think he's done so far? You watched him at the border yesterday. You've seen him on the stump in Iowa and a couple of his stops in New Hampshire. He's fight, battling with Newsom. I think he benefits from that. How is DeSantis now that he's officially in done? Well, you know, DeSantis was up before he was down, and these things go through cycles. You know, I was looking a little bit at the numbers, and right now Trump gets about 55 percent of the Republican electorate enough to win the nomination if no one, you know, successfully unseats him. But that does mean that there's 45 percent that could be consolidated to be an anti-Trump vote because most of those people, if they're not voting for Trump by now, uh, they're, they're really not voting for Trump. And then I looked at the second choices of the Trump voters, and the largest block, 25 points out of the 55, are, are you know, would go to DeSantis. So right now, DeSantis has a real chance. He has a, he has a, an, a if he can consolidate the, the, the field on the one hand and eat into that 25 percent of soft Trump voters, you know, there, there is a path. It's not an easy path. Trump certainly is the is the favorite going into this, but we have seen a lot of front runners fall in primaries before. Here's what Brit Hume said. Tell me what you think. Cut eleven. All these candidates divide up the non-Trump vote. He he can and he can start winning primaries as he did seven years ago uh, with pluralities, even small pluralities, and he wins the nomination. That's I think the, that's what Newt Gingrich is talking about. I, I understand that, and I think it may well be right, but there's also the possibility when you get this many candidates, there's only so much money and support to go around, mm-hmm. and they may knock each other off. Um, you know, you, ha- you have to have money to keep going, and you can't go very far if you don't have it. And if they, uh, they all could run out of money except for a handful before the first primary, and if that happens, then it gets to be a different race entirely. Right now, he says uh, that basically every, uh, Donald Trump cheers every time somebody else gets in. Your thought? Uh, I think he does cheer because it makes consolidation of the non-Trump vote harder. Uh, but, you know, also the Republican system is a little weird in that it's proportional up until a certain point. I think it's around Super Tuesday when it then goes to winner take all. So the field has this time in which only proportional delegates are, are awarded, which slows Trump down, you can't win. And also it's kind of this period during which candidates really have to quickly in January and February assess, do they have a real chance 
And will they consolidate around somebody with a chance to defeat Trump? Or will they go and support Trump and put Trump over the top? You know, they could go either way. But that that January, February is going to be really important here in determining what happens. So, Mark Penn, our guest, uh, we go to the Harvard Harvard poll, uh, Harris Harvard Harris. Harris poll. So Trump beats Biden by seven. I have never seen that widespread. What do you think accounts for that? Yeah, I haven't seen it either. So you know, as I say, when you're doing the polling, you just got to go with the numbers. Uh, the, the numbers that, that that you get. I think that was a you know that that was a low point. Uh, that was before the the debt deal. I think that. Uh, that, uh, you know, Trump, I think, also, I think, strengthened himself with the CNN town hall. So I think the CNN town hall did him plus, you know, the previous indictment. So I think there were a number of things where when we did that poll that that Biden was at a weak point, Trump was at a strengthened point. I'll be curious to see how it comes out this month in about 10 days. All right. Uh, Mark, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how this plays out because we also know it's state by state. So you could have be winning overall, but if you can't take Arizona, if you can't convince Georgia to flip, if you can't get into Michigan where it's trending more blue uh, and Wisconsin, it, it's not going to matter. And my last question to you is, does, does Trump need a wrinkle? If Trump just being Trump enough, or could he bring something else to the stage to the interviews that might win over some of the independents, the suburban women that he lost? Well, or a different team or a different group of constituencies or, you know, you know, it's certainly his vice presidential candidate definitely won't be Mike Pence again. Uh, so so there, he's, he's got a number of, of levers that he could pull. I always say it's Trump v. Trump. The only person who can defeat Trump is generally Trump himself. Uh, and and with what you know, what thing he does that, that's unexpected, and at the same time, when he does the right thing, uh, you know things happen for him. I think that you know, he's stuck in the low, you know, 44, 45 percent of vote he can get. If he doesn't have some kind of game changer, it, it's difficult for him to get across the finish line. Uh, he's beating Biden, so just as Biden thinks the candidate he wants is Trump. I think Trump really wants Biden to be the candidate uh, because that's probably the easiest candidate for Trump to defeat. That's certainly what the polling is showing so far. Which is why he's almost keeping his hands off because he doesn't want him to go overboard. Hey, Mark Penn, always great. Thank you. Thank you. one 866 I'll come back. I'll take some calls. Uh, then we'll read some emails. We'll find out if there's a more to know a little bit later. Keep in mind it's Thursday, which means in 48 hours, uh, roughly, uh, 48 plus, uh, One Nation will be on at 8 o'clock Eastern time, and it's going to be great. I had the I took a look at the rundown. You will love it, just like you love this show. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I have a two-lake theory of what's going on. There's a very large lake that has all the Trump voters. There's a much smaller lake that has the non-Trump voters. All of these candidates, including DeSantis, who's failed to sort of make the cut, 
All these candidates are in the non-Trump lake fighting for about 40 percent of the party. Trump, I suspect, is popping champagne corks at Mar-a-Lago every time there's a new candidate. I mean, what he wants is 15 or 20 candidates out there making a whole range of noise and mm -hmm. one person that the country identifies with. And if he gets that, he could be the nominee by March. Well, that's interesting. Newt Gingrich, who has not come out and said Donald Trump's my guy, but I'm sure he feels that way, especially when he met his wife, Secretary of the Vatican, or I think that's how you say it. She did a great job there and really bridged gap between, and, and translation between Trump and, and the Pope. Uh, but Newt Gingrich is a great analyst. Uh, it says it every time. But I'll tell you, there's a part of Donald Trump who's really disillusioned that Nikki Haley, that Mike Pence, that Tim Scott— I don't think Chris Christie because they've been fighting for a while. Chris Christie to a degree, but earlier, if it was a year ago. And uh, they're all in because he feels it, and DeSantis especially, feels totally disloyalty towards him. But also knows that the more people in, the because he's the most popular in there, the easier it is when people see less of a one-on-one. -on -one. If they see a one-on-one, -on -one, they got a clear advantage. But you like Tim Scott. You like DeSantis. You like, uh, you like Nikki Haley. Oh, and uh, these five people like Trump. That works for him. Always did. Uh, let's go to Dean. Listen on WABC. Hey, Dean. Yeah, hi, Brian. You know, you know what's going on. The, the biggest thing that we have a problem with is Trump exposed that our government is totally corrupt, completely corrupt. Every single Republican that's running against him right now, they all wanted to do what he did. They're not capable of doing it because they're politicians. I'll vote for any Republican to win. I mean, that's that's a standard right there. But Trump exposed the corruption in our government, and it's super corrupt. He's the only one that comes in with no political baggage. Yes, he has a lot of civilian baggage, but anybody who thinks that Trump is guilty of anything, try and get the United States government on any one of us for seven They'll years. They'll find something. And find nothing. They found nothing on him. They're making it up. Well, I mean, in New York, New York is, is total, uh, a total mess. Uh, going after a company that they used to laud and every politician used to go after is terrible, Letitia James. Having this woman come out after 30 years and say something happened in a department store and not be able to prove it, uh, that is a total joke. She couldn't even remember the year it happened. That only helps Trump. The Mar-a-Lago situation I don't think is criminal. Even if he's kept a box or two back, didn't tell his lawyer. I just, you sit there and you rebuke, you're fine. But you do not indict and go through the whole process of indicting a president, fingerprinting him, have the rest of the world look at it and think it's another situation where I lost, I'll jail the other guy. In no way that should happen. But I will say, why take the documents? You're not starting a library. Why even take them? You want one, just sign it out. Or have a staffer sign it out. And just say to yourself, I'm going back. And I'm going to start changing things my direction. That's what I thought. So some of your emails comes in and says, uh, uh, Brian, you shouldn't have said that uh, uh, Donald Trump almost, and this is from Bob, uh, Bob Krause. Uh, Bob says, Brian, you shouldn't say that Trump almost got Vice President Pence killed. Yeah, well, I'm telling you, they wanted to hang him, hang Mike Pence. And President Trump didn't come out and say, hands off, guys, stand down. He's my vice president. We disagree. Instead, he said he made the wrong decision. Randall Cole says, have you heard about this? John Katz uh, of WABC, who's lucky, who's kind enough to carry our show, might buy CNN. I did not. I'm the first time I'm hearing that. We'll see if Randall's right. And Bill writes me and says, 
my comment is regarding your just interviewed uh, Vice President Pence on your radio show. I found it troubling that he did not ever mention President Trump by name. Listen, he's, uh, he was saying the, my running mate. He was saying the president. Uh, he didn't say Trump by name. Um, we'll see. I think that he learned a lot from Trump. I think Trump and he worked great. And if there was no January 6th, they'd be running together again. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Well, does anyone doubt that Mike Pence would be a great president? That he would get stuff done? Does any, you know, he wouldn't have the most electrifying inaugural address or State of the Union? So what? Does anyone doubt that Tim Scott would be a great president? Does anyone doubt that Governor Christie could do the job? Does, does anyone doubt that Ron DeSantis would be fantastic? They all would be. But unfortunately, they got to tear each other apart first, and King of the Mountain will be King of the GOP. And then they still have an uphill battle to cry because there are so many Democrats in this country. Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's hard for me to not sit up here and feel somewhat like a sacrificial lamb and, you know, feeling like I've put myself out there and this is what happens. Again, removing myself from the situation, I see how this is better for the game of golf. There's no denying that. I still hate live. Like, I hate live. Like, I, I hope it goes away and I would fully expect that it does. Um, and I think that's where the distinction here is. This is the PJ Tour, the DP World Tour and the PIF. Very different from live. Going forward, I hope that there's, you know, there may be a team element, but I don't think it'll look anything like live has looked. And I think that's a good thing. And we have so many questions about the merger with the Saudi-backed Live League, the PGA, and the European Tour. We know this: Live takes twenty percent of twenty uh, percent of the union of the PGA and Live. They pay two billion dollars. And the Saudis become the minority owner. The PGA, as you know, is a nonprofit, generates $1.5 billion, $600 million on the tour, $634 million for media rights. Last year, the PGA invested in the DP tour, the European tour, for $85 million. So they're trying to get a lot more properties. And then suddenly they decide to drop all litigation against each other and the individual golfers and decide to merge. They had a series of secret meetings uh, one, I think, in London, one over in San Francisco, and another. And next thing you know, their framework for a deal. What does it mean in the big picture? The Saudis are so focused on sports. We'll go over that with Mike Gunzelman. He's uh, the outkick reporter that we all know and love. Mike, welcome. Hey, Brian. How are you, my man? How's how, going? How big a deal is this? <laughs> well, here, you know what it is? It, I, it's honestly massive because it's not just the PGA, but when you combine everything that's currently going on and the power play and these power moves that the Saudis are doing, it's going to be absolutely huge. You know, a couple weeks ago, it's funny, just a couple weeks ago when there was rumors that uh, Messi, who's obviously one of the greatest soccer stars, was possibly going to go to uh, play soccer in Saudi Arabia, I started thinking and did a whole article about this on OutKick and started looking about all the influence and all the moves that Saudi Arabia has been doing in the sports and entertainment world. And I know that we all think that China is a huge threat, and they are. But in the sports world, it's pretty much just the NBA that really has a lot of connections with China. The Saudis are making power moves here, Brian. And when you combine them all together, the PGA thumbs up in two words, sellouts. 
They sold out to the Saudis here. Now, I'm all about people wanting to make money, but you're dealing with the Saudis here, who obviously do not have a great track record whatsoever. And the biggest thing that the Saudis are doing, why this is concerning is, when you start doing these massive billion-dollar moves and deals with each other, how are you going to stand up to them in the future when the Saudis are going to do what the Saudis always do? And, you know, there's geopolitical conflicts of interest. And when you put money involved, yeah. it's, it's, you're blurring the line. And it's not just the PGA. It's across the board right now, and it's essentially selling out. So if you're not going to stand for anything, then all right, let's just do deals with the whole entire world then. But one thing, the one thing they say in the golf world, I'm not the biggest golf expert. They say it could not this, – this fracturing of their piece of the pie was not good for the sport. They're taking just, uh, Dustin Johnson, taking Phil Mickelson, uh, taking Bryson DeChambeau and uh, Brooks Kepka. And they Patrick Reed, and they were trying to say, well, these guys, this gig, their games are going to drop. And then you see Kepka and Mickelson killing it uh, in <laughs> yeah. uh, in the Masters, and then Brooks Kepka uh, winning uh, was it uh, the U.S. Open or excuse me the PGA? Uh, so yeah, so he wins that, and they go, really, his game is suffering. So next thing you know, they say, let's just get this together, and we'll see if we can get uh, we can get both leagues together. I don't know the backstory yet, but here is Jay Monahan. Now this is a year ago, Jay Monahan running the PGA, talking about how bad live is. Yeah. <laughs> As it relates to the families of 9-11, uh, I have two families that are close to me that lost loved ones. And so my heart goes out to them. And I would ask, you know, any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA Tour? Here's Jay Monahan two days ago. The Saudis sort of people will say, oh, they control golf around the world. I'm just curious as to what you think the response is going to be. I said previously that we were going down our path. They were going down theirs. And today that tension goes away. The litigation is dropped. We're announcing to the world that on behalf of this game, we're coming together. And it's it's less about how people respond today. And it's all about how people respond in 10 years. So how do you feel about his spin on that? Uh, Jay Moynihan is spineless, gutless, and he's a worm. And uh, I can't wait to see how much money he ended up getting by doing this deal because his career is definitely over. It's only a matter of time. There's no way. I mean, he, he sold out his own players and the whole entire uh, tour and the, and, and the whole entire league to, to, deal, to do the deal with the Saudis here. So Jay Moynihan is a, uh, he's, he's a, he's gutless. He's gutless right there. But it also goes to the larger picture. Money. Money obviously trumps everything, but when you see it here, and especially when you hear his initial comments, and you're going to invoke 9-11 and, 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 and American pride, and oh, we'll never deal with them, and then you do a complete 180, it's frustrating. It's frustrating from uh, uh, an American standpoint here because, you know, Qatar had the World Cup. Qatar is not a great, like, not a great country that you want to be involved with. The Saudis now, they're not only doing PGA, but Brian, I don't think Formula a lot of people one. realize this. But the, the, the Saudis are doing a lot of things here. So they've got World Wrestling Entertainment, WWE, just made a hundred mil, multi-million dollar deal with them for multiple years. All right? So they're doing annual events over there. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you can't wrestle if you're a female over there. You have to wear special garments, obviously. You have, um, you have Jake Paul, the biggest influencer right now for Gen Z and millennials. All right? Has a lot of influence. He just did his boxing fight over there. After work, he's praising the king. They uh, have a Formula One, which is a 
big growing sport right now. They tried buying the whole entire thing for $20 billion. They've got the FIFA event coming up later this year. They've got Ronaldo for $200 million. They're making all these power play moves, and now it used to be PGA versus Live, and now they've got the PGA. And I know that PGA is still going to, quote-unquote, have majority control. Absolutely not. You know that the Saudis are going to run all this. Money is running everything right now. Right. From an American standpoint, why are we giving this? Why are we willfully giving more power to the Saudis who are deliberately distracting and deflecting um, all blame against themselves for all the flashy gold and music and sports and entertainment? They are a big shaker right now in the I sports wonder, industry, and we are handing it over right. to them. Mike Gunzelman with us from OutKick. So, Mike. The other thing would be what happens to the players that took the $700, $500 million, and now they get to go back into the PGA after doing so well. You know, they're back in the majors. Now they're back in the PGA if they choose. Now they're going to probably work at a point system so you could play a live tournament and get some points. So the question is, Rory McIlroy says, we can't just accept them back. We can't just welcome them back in. There's, that's not going to happen. So that's what Jay was trying to get through across yesterday. Are they going to be fined? Oh, I mean, if there's a merger, you can't find people. The USFL and NFL didn't merge, and then you didn't find uh, Randy White. You know, you right, didn't yeah. find Steve Young. All he did was go to another league. Jim Kelly didn't get fined. Doug Flutie. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people are just talking out of their you-know-what with this. I mean, because they're not going to get fined. And also, you know, the other ridiculous thing I hear is that Oh, well, you know, the Saudis and Liv will pay a lot of these uh, the PGA golfers. You really think the Saudis are really going to be paying these people that didn't go with them in the first place? You handed over all control to the Saudis here. And the other thing is, especially with Rory, and honestly, I'm never, uh, was never a big Rory fan here. But, I mean, I, I'm giving him props here because at least he's standing his ground. I'm like, morning, and I just feel pretty bad for him. But then you had a Liv, uh, a Liv Golf um, executive say yesterday that they don't even want Rory. Because he, he's been talking out against them. And that's what you're dealing with because you're dealing with the Saudis. You're dealing with the live. They have different cultures. They have different values. And, oh, yeah, they control all the purse strings. Right. So I mean, they say they're minority. Yeah. They say they're going to own 20% of it. So a majority that's, ownership that's, is a majority. Come on, Brian. We, it's, it's, they have all the money in the world. Come on. I mean, if they're just – why did we do it in the first place? Why well, did we I, do it in the first place? No, no, no. I, I'm, I, I'm telling you right now, uh, I have no idea the backstory yet. We're starting to get drips and drabs of it. And the fact is that Greg Norman didn't know the backstory. So I do not feel bad not being cued in. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens to him because Greg Norman gave up his reputation, maybe his spot in the Hall of Fame, not invited to any majors, even to, to majors that he won because they think he sold out the PGA. Now you're going to merge and you're going to deal him out? I mean, it's ridiculous. That's it, terrible. It's ridiculous. And, yeah, it, it's awful here. And it just, it, I mean, listen, it's great for the game of golf, for the casual golfer that just wants to see the best people compete, blah, blah, blah. But when you're, when you're standing on principle, when you're looking at the bigger picture, it's, it's, it's awful. And then, all, I mean, look at what they did to their own players. They trusted them. They believed in them. And then they just, they did it back to a backdoor deal and didn't even inform any of them. Right. And what's also interesting, Brian, and I wrote this on the Outkick.com piece, is this only sets up precedent. When I all those events I mentioned, all the sports that they're trying to take over, they've got major concerts. They're, you know, they are making these huge moves. The Saudis are, but this only allows for setting up precedent for other sports leagues to get involved. And one thing that I think that you need to pay attention to is obviously Commissioner Roger Goodell, NFL. He's got a couple more years left. He just resigned. He is really pushing for 
more games in Europe. We see that. They're doing Germany, England, et cetera. They've been doing that now for the last couple of years. I would not be surprised if within five years if there's games now at least once a year in Saudi Arabia. And that is like, and then we're just willfully, not a team, but games now in Saudi Arabia. We're moving from Europe into obviously the Middle East now, but they have different values. Gotcha. And also uh, the track record. So pay attention to that, man. The Saudis are bad. Stop well, looking at China way. all the time. Well, you have I, to look at Saudi Arabia. Well, I, think, I think you're right. It's a totally different culture. The, uh, the majority of the hijackers are from there. I got it. But the U.S. has relations with Saudi Arabia. We have our Secretary of State there right now. They are considered the good guys in that region and help set up the Abraham Accords. They were probably a month away from joining recognition of Israel allowing flights there. And they are a hedge against our major enemy in the area, Iran. So it is complicated. Uh, and we have had a 50-year back to FDR relationship with them. And believe it or not, it's way too slow for us. But they are beginning to give their women a little bit of rights uh, in the Middle East. Pretty, uh, uh, it's noteworthy. But here's Christine Brennan on the future of Jay Monahan. Basically, the headline is never mind. Everything we talked about, the outrage of the PGA Tour, how they spoke about the 9/11 families and their concern about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, that's all out the window. The PGA Tour has wimped out. Let's just say what it is. USA Today's. Uh, Christine Brennan, who writes for the about the PGA. Final thought? I mean, it, she's right. I mean, Moynihan did what he, what Moynihan did. All right, he he gave up. He he screwed over his own players, and he essentially went back on everything that he said. He evoked nine eleven, which is a like really. You did that just a year ago. Unfortunately, it all came down to um, money in the end, obviously, and. I truly believe that this is only going to set up precedent. And also, listen, golf will be fine. Golf, golf will be fine in the end. But it's the power that we are willfully giving over to the Saudis across the entertainment and sports aspect that if things go bad, near term, it might be okay. But what happens in like five or ten years now, we get into a conflict with Saudi, and all of a sudden, all the big donors and dealers here in America and across sports leagues across the globe have billion-dollar deals with them. How are we going to hold them accountable? I don't right. care if it's, it's Saudi, China, whoever. I'm about America. I don't know why we're willfully handing over things. Why? Like, well, we'll see, Mike. We'll, we'll see. I mean, there's also uh, they were also except they're advertising on the PGA Tour anyway. Or, uh, uh, a lot of these products from Saudi Arabia in the Middle East, and then you have the UAE hosting the World Cup. Uh, and if you don't want to watch golf with Saudi Wealth Fund supporting it. Don't watch Newcastle because they just bought 80% oh, well, of the team. I, they're making moves everywhere, yeah, from, from Ronaldo to Newcastle. They, they are, they're doing – I just think that we need to put more attention on them and also hold them accountable. You gotcha. know, the G20 had their annual summit last year. Saudi Arabia is the fastest-growing economy. But on the flip side, they also have the second-worst human rights. And for as much as we are concerned about LGBTQ+, plus here in the sports world here in America, over there, like, where, where, where's the concern about that? They don't have it. You know, like, they don't have yeah, it. Exactly. Yep, there absolutely. Is it. They throw them off so buildings. I think there's a double standard there where it's, and rightfully so, we should be able to, you know, I want freedom for everybody here. But we're, why aren't they being held accountable? Instead, we're doing billion dollar deals here. And where's LeBron James talking about that? Well, with, with there's, there's no, I mean, look at China. Double standard. Yeah. Double standard. All yeah. right, Michael Gunzelman, thanks so much with uh, Outkick. Appreciate it, Brian. Take care. All right, Thank so you. listen, when we come back, we'll wrap up the era and find out if there's indeed more to know. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. 
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I love the haze. It's the best thing to come from Canada since Jason Priestley. <laughs> First, it's really hard to see what's going on on the street. And when you live in New York, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> got your junkies shooting up. You got the homeless defecating. You got kill me, just hitchhiking. All of that is obscured by that surreal, magnificent haze. Yes, uh, that's true. I was hitchhiking in the fog. Well, let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. The older it gets, the better it gets. And the more valuable it gets. Go to caskdeeds.com. That's caskdeeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, here we go. Josh Allen, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, will be on the cover of Madden Football 24. So the NFL cover will have Josh Allen Quote, me being on Madden 24 means joining a very exclusive crew that gets to be on the cover, one of the greatest games to come out. It's a surreal spot to be in, and I can't thank EA enough for having this. Isn't this a bit of a hex, though, too, Pete? They, that's what they say, but I, I, I think it's a little overblown. It is a big it is a big deal for the players. I mean, this, I mean, I go back, me personally, I play these games when Madden himself was on the cover before they put players. Right, uh, and by the way, speaking of uh, uh, Don, uh, John Madden, do you know who's going to play him? No. Will Farrell will play John Madden in a movie really? on his life. Who is the uh, comedian that was always on Fox Sports? That would I know, be, but that's, I thought he'd be better. I know. Evidently, John Madden did not think he was funny. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Next, uh, President Biden's climate czar John Kerry likens D-Day invasion to battling climate change. Will he please quit? Denver Nuggets silence the Miami Heat with a commanding 109-94 road win of the best of seven. They're up two games to one. Nikola Jokic makes NBA Finals history with a 30-20-10, 30 points, 20 assists, and 10 rebounds. Jamal Murray joins him with 30-point triple-double as well. Jokic was available to everyone. A second-round pick, by far, uh, best player in the league. Next, President Biden will veto a bill canceling the $400 billion student debt handoff. So he uh, hand out. He wants to give everyone $10,000. We can't afford it. So it's up to a judge. In the meantime, he wants to look like a hero. To me, it makes him look irresponsible. Talk about not learning. A Missouri governor, uh, how about this? Bud Light is co-sponsoring an all-ages drag show tomorrow night. Are you kidding? Uh, it's called the Space Save Family uh, Festival event. Despite tumbling sales after Dylan Mulvaney, the transgender influencer, was put on the can... They are partying with the pride to the pines and includes the drag queens and other performers. Uh, Bud Light is listed as one of the companies sponsoring on the June 17th event. Would this be something you think is in their best interest? Not right now, but you wonder how long ago they put this sponsorship in. Is it too late for them to withdraw it? And then it looks bad, right? Yeah, it looks worse. Then you have Old Navy, Toyota, Coca-Cola. Oh, and there's a no, no nudity city ordinance, by the way. So if you are going to Northern Arizona for a Pride event, you must be dressed. That's all I ask. We don't want you getting a ticket. After all, where would you put it? Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, keep it here. The Fox News Rundown. A contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.